Morning, friends. It's great to great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. It's um, a joy to be with you again. I was um, here what, a year ago or something, two. I can't. I've lost track. The years are so quick. Um, I'm certainly older than the last time I was here. Um, so we've got a passage um, this morning from the Italian prophet Malachi from Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Um, so if you've got the few Bibles and you want to read along, it's really easy. You just um, go to the end of the Old Testament, and before you hit Matthew, there is Malachi. And we're going to read, and, and this is, I think, is it Jono that's picked out this passage? Or? Yeah, okay, great. So we're going to read from chapter 1 in the book of Malachi, the Italian prophet. Okay, Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 through to 14. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where is the honour due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now, now implore God to be gracious with us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord God Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. What a great passage to open up with on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Love a bit of Old Testament prophecy. It's actually a great passage, and I hope that we're going to leave here encouraged and empowered, but uh, we've got to get under it a, a little bit. And the way I want to do that is I want to start by telling you a story of a school. The school was near the water, like you are here, and this school, one year, they decided they were going to have a maritime theme. And so the whole school from P, from prep, right through to year 12, all the subjects were going to be based around a maritime theme. And so geography or it was going to be water related or maths was going to have maths problems to do with boats and, and, and navigation and things. And English would be, you know, rhyme of the ancient mariner. Did anyone do that at school? Alone, alone, all, all alone, alone and alone. Wide, wide sea, and never a saint took pity on my soul in agony. That's all I learned at school, so I had to say that. 
all of those things were going to be studied. So the school was going to get into it right from the preppies all the way through to year 12. So everything was going to be maritime. And then one of the teachers came up with this incredible idea. Um, he said, how about we build a boat? And we galvanised the whole school around the idea of building a boat. And everyone loved the idea. So they got in some local uh, boat people and there were people in the school community who knew how to design it and build it. And the woodwork teacher loved the idea. And so his, all of a sudden his area in the school curriculum became central to the whole school. And over the course of the year, they just built this boat. And every year level did what they needed to. And some subjects were involved in engineering or design and other subjects, the art classes involved in the painting. And, the whole school community pulled together incredibly in this maritime theme for the year. and It just gripped the whole school community. In fact, it gripped the wider community because anyone who had a child involved or a parent and a friend and the fundraising that went into it, everyone knew about it. Anyway, the year just went like lightning and it was fantastic and they got to November and the schools went, went out and the year 12s did their exams and, and there were still some odd jobs to finish over summer and the year 12s who finished their, their exams. They just came back and over summer they did all the things that needed to be done to finish the boat because they were just so wrapped in this whole project and it was just this, this amazing thing. So at the end of this wonderful year, this maritime year, there was this boat and it was in the harbour and it was fantastic. And, and then what would happen is um, in, the, in the next year, the year 12s, they went back and they, they would look at the boat and they would hop on it and they would celebrate and remember that was our year 12 experience. And, and then each successive year, as other kids from that 13-year gap from P through to 12 graduated, they'd go to the boat too and they'd sit there and they'd sit on it and they'd talk about it. And, and then a little committee was formed for the restoration of the boat as the things weathered and, and they'd have working groups. And this boat became this centralising kind of activity. It was really exciting and everyone loved it. And about, you know, after everyone, so from the preppies all the way through the year 12s in that year had gone through, so at least 13 years later, let's say 15 years later, someone actually asked this audacious question. They said, has anyone ever sailed the boat? <laughs> and everyone looked around and they asked questions and they went through their network and, no, I've never sold the boat, no, 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 we, we, we launched it, we certainly named it after Mrs Gafoops, the touch shop manager who'd looked after our, our stomachs for years, so the boat was known as the Mrs Gafoops, but no, we've never actually sailed it. And so a bunch of people said, let's sail it, let's actually take it off the jetty and go for a sail. And so they thought, oh. So they went to the principal of the school, who was a new principal by then, um, because the old one had retired, and, and they went to the, the new principal and they said, we'd like to take the boat for a sail, so uh, can, can we do that? The principal was mystified. He realised how important the boat was to the school community, and there were so many things talking about the boat. And he realised that it was actually quite dangerous. If the boat actually went for a sail and there was a disaster, people might be hurt or drowned, but worse, they might lose the boat. And that would be terrible. And so he thought about it and he went to the school council and he said, I've got this strange request. People want to sail the boat. 
And the council was horrified and they pulled out their risk register and they said, it's red on every column. There is no chance that you could possibly sail that boat. We could lose it. And that would be a tragedy. And so the board, that the school council that night, they made two resolutions. Firstly, the boat was never to be sailed. It was to be as good as bolted to the jetty and it was to be there forever. And secondly, they decided they were going to form a committee that was going to look after the restoration and the history of the boat. And so people were going to get involved in writing about the boat and recording it and put, putting a book together and building up their photos and others were going to sand it and paint it. And this boat was going to be there forever. Well, of course, that's a story and it's a great story that I made up. But it's a great story, an illustration about actually how we can get so wrapped up in something that we can actually forget what the original purpose is. Boats are designed to leave the harbour. That's why you have them, that's why you build them, so that they can leave the harbour. And there was a basic lesson not learned in that school community and for all of those kids in that maritime year in the story. Well, Malachi as a book is a fascinating book. It's right there at the end of the Old Testament. We, don't, we actually don't know if Malachi is a real person or not. There's no reason to doubt that Malachi wasn't a real person, um, a, a prophet, Old, Old Testament minor prophet by that name, uh, except that he's not mentioned anywhere else. So you kind of don't pick up anything else historically that means it literally has to be a, a person. Um, because just as equally, the name Malachi means messenger of Yahweh or by the hand of a messenger. So it kind of could be a real person and that was his name or it might just be a, a, a school of thought or someone who wrote these prophecies and, and assembled them and that's what it means. It doesn't really matter. It was written around about the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. So you know the stories of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, the Israelites had been destroyed. And, and, and what's so important about this is the temple was destroyed. And the temple was where God lived. If God's temple was destroyed, God was dead. God was not in the temple. There was no temple. It was destroyed. And the people of God had been shipped off to Babylon and they sat by the river and they wept. And so God was dead. Israel was dead. It was all over. And then you read the story after exile of Nehemiah and Ezra of the rebuilding of the temple and this new vision for the people of God. And it, and it changed the theology and the understanding of the nation because God wasn't there. But God, uh, in fact, they had reduced God to be too small by living in the temple, um, which was just a human construct. But so, so it's parallel with this whole story of Jerusalem being rebuilt. When, when something is in ruins, for example, our life, your life, my life, when something's in ruins, in the midst of the grief, it's actually a very powerful opportunity for you to reflect and return to original purpose, original values, you know, to stop and soberly in the midst of the grief and in the midst of the ruins of the financial devastation or the relationship loss or the passing of a loved one or whatever the circumstances, it's actually a profoundly important opportunity 
to be centered again around the things that really matter. And he's reminding the Israelites here in this, this part that they had three particular areas in the midst of the ruins and the rebuilding where there were profound problems. The first one was the priests had forgotten to do their duties well and the temple was not functioning well. Secondly, uh, the temple was underfunded because people had lost interest in it. Well, no wonder, because the priests were doing a bad job. And so the religious, the faith, the narrative that held together Israel, this small prophetic nation called by God, it, surrounded by all of these other powers, it was losing. they were losing identity and self-understanding of who they were. And thirdly, um, Jewish men were divorcing their wives and marrying women from other peoples. And Ezra talks about that, and it's, it's quite challenging theologically because the theme of genocide gets raised. Malachi is, is a reminder for us not to forget our purpose and values. The purpose of Christianity is not about building churches and building buildings. The purpose of Christianity, it, it's not about church growth. It's not even about the family shock horror. Sometimes when we listen to the media, we think that's what Christianity is about. And yet Jesus said in Luke 14, there's large crowds travelling with Jesus, and he says to the large crowds, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother, his wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The purpose of Christianity is not just about going to church on Sundays and being religious and you know looking all good. It's not about that. The purpose of Christianity is the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. It's about living as as we heard so thoughtfully this morning in the service in the in the prayer time in the kingdom of God. It's about allowing the reign of God, the kingdom of Jesus, to reign, letting Christ the King rule over our hearts and our minds and our souls and guide our actions so that we can live out the reign of God in the world. So if you mention Christianity at the moment in the media, we're not doing a very good job. Well, maybe it's not us, but the people who seem to be going for prominence and power seem to be missing the point. I think about the devastating Royal Commission into sexual abuse that happened in so many Christian institutions that just ruined lives and damaged people. That's not the purpose of what Jesus came for. That's, that's the opposite. I, I think recently about the megachurch scandal that a current affair have been following about a big church in Sydney um, and, and, and all of the abuse basically, of what's going on there in that, in that environment. It's just about power and, and, and wealth and, and using people. Or uh, about um, the, the way that uh, often the Australian Christian lobby seems to defend the rights of certain Christian schools and organisations to basically, I'm being political here, so you don't have to agree with me, but to basically but decide whether someone can have a job or not based on their sexuality and they want the right in law to do that. It just, to me, seems not the simple message of allowing the reign of God in the kingdom, the love of God in the world. This, it's getting, we're getting so distracted. If that's the message we want to communicate, 
I think about evangelical Christians blindly in America, blindly supporting Donald Trump. That's just so troubling to me because it's broadcasting something that's so far from Jesus, this poor carpenter from Nazareth, and the life and the teaching that he called and the hope that that brings. And I actually find if that's where you get to and you need to make that sort of political deal to side with a guy like Trump, just to me, it just it, it's hopeless. Whereas the gospel is hopeful. It's so filled with hope. And it's, it's, it's in the midst of powerlessness. And it's in the midst of a city in ruins here being rebuilt that God shines the light and keeps reminding us to stay true to the purpose. I want to encourage us with the purpose of Jesus and the life of Jesus that he calls us to. It's not about power or wealth or media or power or wealth or media or power, all the things that celebrity and that people can get. Have a listen to this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, how's this? Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. What a vision of the world. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the, that's the hope of the world. That's the kingdom come. That's the get rid of our story, bring in the kingdom story, let God shine. That's what the world's looking for. So this week, let's recommit, hey, to the joy of living out the great commandment. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and loving our neighbour as ourselves. Three commitments to encourage us as we go. Let's love God fully. Just fully. Just allow God to be the centre of our lives, reigning our lives in our kingdom, not getting discouraged by not keeping up with someone or someone else's success or someone else has more money or someone else is better looking or someone else is whatever, all the stuff in the world. Or, or it's just tiring to keep up with it. Just let God reign in your life. And love your neighbour. Stop. Smell the flowers. Chat to your neighbour. Don't be so busy that you just miss saying, G'day, Mark. Who's my neighbour? How are you going? And how's Jack? And how's your dog? Jack's the dog. And stop. Just take the time to build connections with your neighbour and your neighbours. And, and thirdly, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Stop it. Stop beating yourself up. Just accept that you're made in the image of God and God loves you. And have a good week. Don't take on all the baggage. That's simple encouragement, isn't it? That's what I get here. Turn back to first things. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't, don't say things that you don't mean. But just keep it simple and keep a simple agenda.
I want to close reminding you of one of the most famous stories in our culture, which comes from Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We talk about someone's being a Good Samaritan all the time. See, the, the, the Good Samaritan is a fascinating story because, you know it, there's these three, uh, there's, there's these three people. So there's a bloke, he's beaten up, he's at the side of the road, he could be dead. And then there's a, 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 Phar- a, a, a Pharisee who comes along and sees that he's on the side of the road down to Jericho and he could be dead and beaten up, so he crosses the road. And you think, how awful. He should have helped. And then Levite comes along and he sees the same bloke and he could be dead and he's by the side of the road and he's, he says, oh, I can't help there and crosses the road. And you say, how awful. And then the third guy comes along. He's a Samaritan, which are the half-breed, hated cousins of the Jews. They're just, they're terrible. And what does he do? He goes over and he picks him up and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to an inn and he nurses him and he checks he's all right and brings him back to life. And then he pays for it and he says, I'll come back and I'll pay for more. And you think, what a good guy. Here's the way to go. We like him. Well, that's part of the story of what Jesus was encouraging us with. Absolutely, we should do that. But the other part of it is Jesus was saying, if your religion leads you to a point where you're actually not caring for people, it's wrong and it needs to be rebuilt. Because you see, the Pharisee and the Levite did the right thing. Because according to the Jewish rules of the day in the, in the Old Testament, if they, their job was to be pure and follow the law and do their religious duties. But if, they, if that guy was de- beaten up and dead and they touched him, they were impure and they had to go and not do their duties for three weeks and be purified. And so if they touched, wrist-touching a dead body, then they couldn't do their duty to God. So they actually did the right thing by crossing the road. But Jesus' point is there needs to be a reformation. Because if compassion can't rule, if the reign of God and the way God wants it can't rule, then the religion's wrong. And he rebuilt it and brought about a new way of living in the reign of God. So as we go this week, let's follow the Good Samaritan. Let's reform the way we do religion in such a way that we love God, we love our neighbour, and we love ourselves. That's the good news. That's the hope and the light. Forget about all the other stuff. Let's go encouraging each other to be in the reign of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Great.